0: Struggling learners. We're talking about your children. We're talking about your kids. We're talking about the challenge that kids have in school. But some kids have chronic challenges and some kids have situational. The whole world shifted within the last year or so. And every student, every parent has said their child is struggling with some part of adapting. So this is for you. And it's especially for you. If you have a child who was struggling before COVID, before the world started shifting under everybody's feet, you're gonna wanna lean in. As Beth Ellen Nash takes us onto a journey to set up our struggling students, our children, our struggling learners for success. So join me in welcoming her into the studio. There you are. So here I am, and there you are ta Oh, thank you, so good to be here. It is wonderful to be here with you and to see you again. I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> Not since Thursday. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that's true. Okay, so I guess it hasn't been all that long ago. Um, mm. It's been such an amazing journey, Beth Allen, for so many people with their kids in this period of time. So, I mean, I know the stories that I hear But you work with parents and teens all the time. So first, tell people who you are and and why they should listen to you on this topic.
1: Well, I'm Beth Ellen Nash, and I am the founder of Wings to Soar Online Academy. So we've been empowering dyslexics and other outside-the-box kids for the past 10 years in online school. So we've been doing online school since before online school was a thing. (laughs)
0: Whoa, that was fast and furious. And so dyslexic and other outside-the-box Other outside the box
1: learners, like I don't prefer to say learning disabled, yeah, but kids who learn differently than the traditional system.
0: Got it, yeah, cool. There's an awful lot of them. (laughs) There's there's an awful lot of them, okay. That's that's you know, it's comforting in a way to know that there's an awful lot of them because that means that the the ones that are not alone, yeah, yeah, they're not alone. Um, Mm -hmm. on, on the other hand, it means that they're. Struggling. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's a
1: lot of kids struggling.
0: How did you end up in online learning before online learning became a thing? <laughs> well, before I was in online learning, um, early in my teaching career,
1: I was doing a long-term sub, and I was just baffled over four kids who failed almost every test. And you know, over at the lunch table, one day I asked a colleague, "What you know? what do I do? And she's like, some of them just aren't going to make it. And I didn't say anything, but inside I screamed, not on my watch, not in my classroom. Like that is not an acceptable option. And I suspect that some of them just aren't going to make it. Isn't okay for you either, especially not when it's your kid. And I was just so disappointed by the bureaucratic constraints of a school system that left my hands tied to get the kids the help they need. And I, I had known since my first School of Education class when I wrote my philosophy of education paper that someday I was going to need to start a school in order to personalize education, the way I really believed it needed to be done. But It kind of pushed me more and at the time I started tutoring for a few years. And, you know, as a tutor, I started to create a passion for struggling learners and, you know, really gained a lot of skills and experience. I, after three years of tutoring, a couple of my clients were like, would you provide a little more structure for our homeschool program and six weeks later, we had started a a small school. So for eight years, I ran a tiny brick and mortar school in Madison, Wisconsin. And by 2011, I had parents in over a dozen cities around the country as I had spoken at homeschool conventions, saying, oh, I wish your school were here. And I realized that maybe with the power of the internet, it could be. And so I shifted online. And so instead of serving three to 13 kids at a time in my tiny little brick and mortar school, we this ended this year with 225 kids were serving in 40 states and 10 foreign countries so that's kind of how we got that's how that journey happened yeah
0: okay so hundreds of kids have gone yeah. through your school system now um, yep. and now it's hundreds every school year so right. this power of personalization is that mm-hmm. really the key to setting a struggling learner up
1: it really is. I mean I I truly believe that personalized education is is what's needed. I mean we believe we start we need to back start each child where they are. We we talk about their just right level. So we start kids with assessments to figure out where they are and not just reading. But like reading comprehension and fluency and phonics and vocabulary and language and spelling, you know, and on each of the individual skills, we need to know where they are. And so I don't see any kid, uh, I don't believe any kid's a grade level package, Jackie. Um, like you know, we try to say, oh, the, 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 you know, people ask me, so what does it look like for a fifth grader? Well, here are some possibilities of what it might look like because we like pull from a menu of options and like Grace isn't gonna be, the program for Grace isn't the same as it is for Paula or the same that it is for Steve. Like it's gonna be different for each of them. and. I believe they need to work at their just right level in each skill area so that they can build confidence, independence and success where they are. And it's amazing the kind of gains we can see. And we see a year and a half to three years gains in a school year very commonly um, because we start them where they can be confident and successful instead of, so often kids are just struggling to keep their head above water. They're trying to stay afloat and you know they're not, they're not making gains they're just trying to not drown
0: <laughs> Boy, you said a mouthful there i mean when when you're struggling to just keep your head above water it's not easy to feel like you're succeeding at anything because no. you're always in panic mode it's it's
1: right and unfortunately like, i hear, i hear a lot of families who are telling me that they're look they're considering you know working with us and we to start cuz they're like you know my kids Where they say, you know, a lot of kids have really done worse this past, you know, year of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like, they're like, my kid's actually finally not constantly comparing themselves to the next kid because they're not seeing how they don't measure up every day. And so, my kids actually finally, this online thing that we've been doing, they've been actually getting to be who they are and not having to worry about what everybody else is seeing and thinking. And, you know, they're like, so now that that's kind of going away, we're looking for an option to keep that going for my kid. So, or kids who've been bullied in the past where this has been like, just it's, it's safer to be at home for them and they feel safer. They feel so like, yeah, I mean, I've got families who are, you know, yeah. some families are going back to their school situations this year, but I've got other families who are saying, no, actually we want that, but we want it even better, and we want it actually tailored to our kid.
0: <laughs> so. Got it. So there's, yeah. You know, they say you can't do it wrong, but there are certain things you can do that make it easier for oh, yeah a kid who's struggling. So let's walk people through a few things that are just basics for you as far as if you have a kid who's struggling, where do you start? The first thing you got to know where they
1: are. I mean, so I think, you know, doing like we have, a, we have a free um, parent questionnaire for you that we put together a personalized learning guide for you based on that parent questionnaire and just even starting there, you know, we're just a, a parent assessment of just thinking through. And many times that parent questionnaire we send to families, it's the first time anybody's really asked them to think about all of those aspects of their learning concerns. And they're like, oh, either they're aware of some things that they never even thought about or you know, my kid isn't really struggling in everything. It's these couple specific skills that I'm really concerned about. So starting with just that kind of self-assessment and then, you know, if you do have more concerns, you need to figure out where their levels are and things so we know what we need to do to help them. And whether it's with us or whether it's, you know, some other, whatever you're going to do, if you actually know where the skill gaps and strengths relative are, you can make a plan that is going to actually meet your child for who they are and where they are. And I think that's the one of the huge things that sets kids up for success. And I tell people like, what, whether you're working with us or whether you're doing something else, like this traditional system says, the, here's the curriculum pace, we got to keep them going. And I say, the curriculum needs to be your servant and your guide, not your taskmaster. Because your kid needs to be what drives the pace and what, what drives and um, yeah, just it's yeah, it it we and we need to back down to where they are, so that they can be successful. So often parents are like, well, I know they're a little behind, but well, I can't go that low. You know, maybe they're a sixth grader, and they've got some first grade spelling gaps and maybe some second grade phonics gaps and some third grade language skills. And they're like, they're tempted to go down to like, oh, let's just back up a little bit. I'm like, we got to go where they are, because if we don't lay that foundation, if we don't have a solid foundation, the further and further along they get, the shakier and shakier the education goes. Unfortunately,
0: that's a big, big issue. Okay, so here's what I'm hearing yeah. from a parental point of view. I can, I can see, I can almost just envision all the heads going into the sand. I don't want to know. Yeah, because that was really. A big, um, a big challenge. What if my child is lacking a foundational skill, and I don't know? Sure.
1: And if you do know, then you also have the responsibility to do something about it. I mean, you know, there's that balancing. There's that there as well. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents this past year and a half with COVID crisis schooling have observed what their kids are struggling with in a way they never really had a vision, a glimpse into. So I think a lot more parents now are actually more aware of what's truly going on for their kid. And a lot of parents have been, become aware of things. It's like, like I'm not sure that this is just because it was online that this was, that this is going on. I suspect there's been more, I've been being told that they're doing okay, you know, and that they get, keep getting passed along. But from what I've seen this past year and a half, I'm not so convinced that they've actually been doing okay. And i you know, like, so there's a lot more of that nagging concern for a lot of parents because they've, they've observed it in their, at their kitchen table.
0: So where angels fear to trick is this whole conversation about, do I follow the bouncing ball and let my kid go from grade to grade when I have these basic concerns because that's what the establishment, that's what the school is set up for. That's what everybody else is doing. And, you know, I mean, this is not a small conversation.
1: No. No. And considering doing something entirely different for your kid's education potentially is a big deal. And, if your kid has been slipping further and further behind, you know, it's, you know, do we want them struggling? Because I mean, this whole suicide prevention that we're talking about, Jackie, I mean, kids struggling in school is yet another risk factor. You know, it, it just adds to the already underlying set of risk factors that are present for everybody. And, you know, kids who struggle, unfortunately, it, it, and what breaks my heart is they see themselves as broken and they're not broken. They're not broken. And so often if we don't have a name for it, they assume the worst. Yeah. They assume that there's something terribly wrong with me rather than just maybe their brains be wi- wired for a little bit different kind of learning and their brains set up for a different kind of excellence. And that's how I see it. I don't see it as that they're broken. They're smart, but they're wired differently.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's a hold of that. We're gonna pull this into the adulthood for a minute because these okay. don't go away. I mean, when kids come through school, if they were struggling in school, they often pull you continue to struggle. Yeah, all, all the way through. So let's. Start where everybody is. So Beth Ellen, if an adult struggled through school and now they're struggling in the workplace, how would they start where they are? What would you recommend to someone?
1: So part of that is just owning that you have to struggle and recognizing that, you know, hey, this this particular thing is hard for me. And... there are thankfully a lot more tools and accommodations available today than there ever were. And it's normal for us to talk to our phones. It's normal for us to, you know, hey Siri or hey Google, or hey Alexa. And, you know, we can get the, you know, ask for the, what, what we need, we, there's audio supports. I mean, there's speech, use speech to text, learn, learn how to get comfortable with a tool like that. But also think about as an adult, one, do you want to go back and fill in skill gaps that you didn't have a chance to? Because you can choose to. I mean, if you choose as an adult to say, hey, I want to embrace this and I'm willing to go wherever I need to go, maybe you know, maybe there were skill- second grade phonics skills you missed too. And you know what? Probably because we were when we were in school, a lot of that wasn't being taught.
0: <laughs> yeah, like none of it. Not
1: very much so wasn't. And so you know if that didn't come naturally to you, maybe you do want to go fill that in. Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm okay with the fact that I am a better ear reader than an eye reader. And I'm going to use audiobooks to access what I need to what I need to access or use the assistive technology. So for some people, it's yeah, I want to, I actually want to go back. I know a lot of parents. They, as they're exploring their child's learning challenges, they start thinking, you know, I wonder if that was me too, because there is a genetic connection. I mean, there is definitely genetic connection and it wasn't diagnosed for the most part, you know, in your generation, my generation, Jackie, it just wasn't. And so, and, and it was one of those, you just did the best you could and you moved on and you didn't even talk about the fact that you struggled. It was just yeah, school is a little hard, you know, yeah, school is a little hard, but maybe, and sometimes for parents, it can be really, this whole exploring their kids learning challenge brings up that stuff in themselves. And they may think, well, I pushed through, I made it through in spite of this.
0: And sometimes they don't wanna go there with their kid. I can it believe safe. that you do a lot of um, hand-holding on this process. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, you know, because it's, I mean, honestly, we joke that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but it's true. And it's, and it's like, it's one of those things. And it's like, but we know that with our families that if there's a very good chance, one or the other of the parents has had some learning challenges. And maybe not maybe not it may not be then the parents it may be an aunt or uncle or maybe the grandparents and it didn't show up for the parents generation and like people who are in the skilled trades
0: mm-hmm.
1: i often you know they're they, they were smart enough that they were maybe stealth learning challenges and that they've just gone on to be wildly successful using their flip side strengths that you know, they developed instead of, and no one would ever know that it was a challenge. And they've probably been smart and surrounded themselves with support staff that does the parts of the job that they're not as uniquely wired to, for excellence in.
0: I'm having a good time with this because you, you brought up some languaging that I just am not familiar with. And hmm. it's so clear. The first one was when you said in, they're a better ear reader than an eye reader. And I'm like, sure. okay, now it once you said audiobooks, I knew what an ear reader was, but I've never heard it expressed that way. And what a beautiful, non judgmental way of saying, hey, you know, give it to me in my ears rather than have me read it. Yeah. I mean, and if somebody was blind, they would, would, before
1: audiobooks were easy, you would think they would be using Braille and they'd be finger reading. I mean, they'd be finger reading Yeah, somebody else. But nowadays, lots of people use audiobooks, and it's not necessarily for some, it's just, they wish they could sit down with a physical book, but they just don't have the time. But to be able to say, you don't have to say, I can't enjoy a book or I can't read. It's just, I prefer to read listening with my ears ears, and I take it in better that way. And that's okay. And I really think that's important. So I I, I credit Ben, Ben Foss, um, uh dyslexia empowerment plan i think is the one that i credit that the terminology for but um, <laughs> yeah but i think it's just it is an empowering way of thinking about it like yeah. just you know, it's just a different way of reading
0: it's just a different way
1: of accessing the text
0: all i could think about was the dr seuss book that says i can read with my eyes shut <laughs> and, and, and how that story is now the truth yeah we can read with our eyes shut now. Whether you know, first it was with finger reading and now it, it's with audiobooks, but yeah, it was really funny. That's that's the only thing that popped into my head. <laughs> the, the other thing you said that caught my attention was you talked about flip side strengths. Say more about that.
1: Yeah, that's my term. That's the term I came up with to describe because so often what we see is that. My specialty is dyslexia, I mean, that's the realm that I work in the most, the most, but that many dyslexics are particularly, st- and I think many k- people with learning challenges this, this is true for, but my, again, my expertise is in the dyslexia area, that they tend to be exceptionally good, say, in the 3D visual spatial skills, whereas the 2D linear sequential reading, writing, math type skills that so much of school is about, unfortunately, tend to come a little more challenge because when you're wired for particular excellence, I think it's a continuum. When you're wired for excellence on one end of a continuum, it makes sense that the other end comes a little bit harder. Now, I'm actually the exact opposite. I'm much stronger than 2D linear sequential. That stuff comes easy to me. The 3D vis- visual spatial, um, it's challenge, it's a challenge for me, but most population is kind of in the middle of the road and we have a little bit of relative strengths or weaknesses on any given, s- any given skill. Yeah. But when you have a learning challenge, often there's a really a trade-off, the flip side, that is actually the opposite side of the coin. It, you know, the 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 weakness is paired with the exceptional strength.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you say that. I'm in the middle of a book by Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath. And he started a chapter with, you know, no parent would, with, would wish dyslexia on their kid, or yeah. would they? And he actually explores what's possible, but also mm-hmm. the, the reality of what's true in our culture, which is that the prison population is disproportionately dyslexic because there's not a, a support system for yeah. them to explore how to manage the challenge with the flip side strength and i do really like that term yeah totally and
1: it is unfortunately sad that the you know the the prison correlation all of that is so directly connected with the learning challenges when they aren't
0: addressed you know when they aren't addressed and yeah. So that's yeah. why we're having this conversation because mm-hmm. if you have a child who is a struggling learner, the first step is to admit that you have a child who's struggling. This is this is the key to keeping, in, in from my vernacular, this is the key for keeping your kid alive. Let's address it now before you end up having to talk them off a ledge. So- and, and for me, there's a very direct correlation, as you pointed out, between the ability to see yourself as successful and your ability to build the buffer between yourself and the edge. Sure. Yeah, yeah
1: and, when you're in a, and when you're in a system that all you see every day is how you don't measure up, you know, every, once again, you know, my friends talked about that assignment taking 20 minutes. It took me an hour. My friend got an A on it when they're 20 minutes. I got a C after I put an hour of effort in. And sometimes, like, I don't believe that anybody is innately lazy. I think that we may resort to choosing laziness because it's easier psychologically to say, I just didn't try than I tried so very hard and I just couldn't do it.
0: Ooh. Mm. Boy, that brings up a really, really big point yeah, that I hadn't thought of, that a child might resort to laziness as a way to avoid the pain of failure. Mm-hmm. So
1: when, when we see a kid who's seeming like they're not trying anymore, like they've given up, it's usually because they've tried so hard without success and we need to get them to the point that's what that's why i firmly believe that we need to back them down to where they can where their just right level is so that they can be gaining confidence and independence and success because success breeds more success it's 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 a virtuous cycle um and but unfortunately the con- the converse is also true that you know failure often leads to more failure and we have to break that cycle i mean i am s- all about breaking the chains of failure, shame, and inadequacy, because I think that's what's truly needed. And I mean, my tagline on my emails is freeing generations for greatness, because I think when we can break those chains, we, it's not, sometimes we're freeing the parent or the grandparent generation as they realize, oh, this was a part of my story. And recognize that it was a part of their story and they can let that go. And it's like, oh, that wasn't something I need to be ashamed of. This was just something that wasn't understood at that time. Yeah. And also for the current child and their their own story of success, but then on to their children. And the ripples of impact just go out. I mean, I truly believe that dyslexics are the world changers. They're wired to be, they're born to be world changers because they see the world so differently. They have a unique perspective that our, those of us who don't are kind of sometimes stuck in our box and we don't see the solutions. But it, if our dyslexic and other outside the box kids who do see the solutions give up on themselves, either academically and write themselves off, yeah. or in a final way, that they, you know, choose suicide because it's just too painful to continue on. You know, we lose the world changers and the problem solvers who are going to be the ones to solve the problems of our next,
0: the, our next generation. I, I hear you. Now, how did you end up? I'm not, actually, I'm not going to brush that off. That was <laughs> so pointed that we could be losing our creative yeast, if you will. In our thought, in our society, that we um, need them. They are incredibly valuable to the culture because they create change. They solve problems that are not necessarily solvable by a straight linear left brain or you know normal methodologies. So yeah. now that we know the problem, I've got a really question because you, you, the solution it sounds super simple, just do the assessment, find out where your kid is, You know, fill in some, some basic skill things, set them up for success. And I know that there's a lot of support available for that. And we're gonna come back to that question. But first, how did you end up with a focus in dyslexia?
1: Well, I knew from that first philosophy education paper I wrote that I was gonna to need to start a school someday to personalize education. I didn't know who it was for at the time. Like I really didn't. It was, you know, as I was tutoring, Well, okay, so in my infinite 20-year-old wisdom, I gave up my teaching job to gain broader experience so I could start the school someday. Well, I believe my divine placement agent closed every door for the next three years so that I'd be tutoring. I mean, literally, I mean, I applied for every job within an hour of my home that I was qualified for, you know, every teaching job for the next three years. And I would get down to, sometimes it was like the last two candidates and then they closed the position or things like that. And I look back now and I think, I recognize that I believe it's my divine placement agent. He was, I would be happy. In, there's several of those positions I would have been really good at. And I'd be happy. And I'd be making a difference for 25 kids each year. And I was being called to something bigger. There was something more that was, you know, I was going to be able to be impacting far more than those 25 kids each year. And, So he had to close the doors on me, otherwise I'd stay happy and content there. (laughs) And so in the meantime, I tutored, and I've always been more word-oriented than math-oriented, so I started taking trainings around Fort Gillingham and Davis and National Institute of Learned Disapprentices and other kinds of trainings around dyslexia.
0: they are all dyslexia-oriented things. Yeah, okay, thank you, because you're rattling off a bunch of names. Sorry. I can't, can't, my ears don't hear as fast as you were speaking sorry so i'm guessing that anybody who's a parent who's
1: in whose child they know as dyslexic some of those names are sounding familiar to them because they're things they've heard frequently um but i get i get it that you may not um so sorry going for going too fast there so anyhow i started taking trainings that were how do i help a kid with reading challenges Gosh. and those led me down the path towards dyslexia and Initially our school wasn't. So when I had that tiny brick and mortar school, it wasn't specific to dyslexia. It was just, well, it wasn't specific to anything at first it was the people who were coming to me. And then it was more kids with learning challenges. And then as I switched online, I was being encouraged to think about, you know, what's your niche that you best serve? And I was like, well, my expertise and my years of experience really is mostly with dyslexic kids. Let's go there. Let's, let's target that. So Yeah. I mean, so that's, so we've been specializing in dyslexia. I would say for the last six, seven years, that's been our specialty. Um, Wow. Yeah. Then, I mean, I wrote a book four years ago where I was pulling together some of the expertise from lots of other people. So my dyslexia outside the box book, I wanted to take expertise of a lot of other people in dyslexia field and bring it into parent-friendly language. (laughs) And so they could read one book to summarize a lot of the stuff, instead of having to wade through bunches of others
0: well (laughs) you know that's a very 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 valuable very valuable thing Beth Ellen because as you said the apple often doesn't fall far from a tree so if there's a dyslexic child in the household odds are there that maybe the person trying to help them also has some reading challenges
1: Yeah, I mean, so like when I, when I wrote my book, I insisted with my publisher, I said, I wanted eight, like 8 and a half by 11 size so we could have more white space around the edges. We had, I, I said, I want a larger font size. I want more, you know, white space on the page. We're going to do more bullet points than we might normally to help make things a little bit easier to, you know, to digest. And like the, the, my original editor actually edited it, for, edited it. They didn't ask me who my audience was. They edited it for an academic audience. And then a friend read it, said, this isn't your audience, Beth Ellen. Like, this isn't who this is for. And we, re, we reworked, we took it out of the pipeline, reworked the entire thing. And how can we say this easier? How can we say this simpler? How can we break this sentence down to make it more accessible? And I'm not saying dumbing it down in any way, no. but to make it accessible and realize that whether it's the a teenage child themselves wanting to read the read a chapter about other inspirational people who've had dyslexia or maybe mom's the one mainly helping with education, but dad would really, you know, was curious about this and would love to read a couple chapters on it, even though reading's hard or grandma or grandpa who, you know, that was their challenge is
0: I'm curious, what is this thing that I'm hearing my grandchild has, you know? So, yeah. So a guidebook, which is absolutely lovely. And I know you are really good at creating guides and So I greatly appreciate the fact that you are giving your personalized learning guide system to everyone because this is such a beautifully well laid out, easy to use, easy to get a handle on what could be causing my kid to struggle. And that brings up a point. I believe that every student struggles in something. Mm -hmm. That that's part of the human condition. We are not normally hardwired to excel at everything. No, because honestly, school is the
1: only place in life where we expect everyone to be good at everything. In the real world, in the adult world, you don't choose a job that's in your weakness. You know, you don't, yes, you may have a couple things that are a little bit harder for you that you need to do as part of your day-to-day tasks or something, if you're really, if writing is really, really hard for you, you're probably not gonna choose a career that requires writing copious amounts of reports. I mean, just realistically, you know, and-, and it, Yeah. yeah it and in, school, and in school, fall. but in, yet in school, we expect yeah. kids to be all these subjects and that they're supposed to be good at it all. And why don't you have straight A's? And well, you know what, maybe, it's okay if that handwriting was particularly hard for that child and that I mean it wasn't okay in my world when I got a d in handwriting in third grade I mean I was like you know devastated um because it was expected that I was going to be good at everything oh yeah yeah. and And yeah those can create some psychic wounds yeah but I mean that skill came hard for me it was a longer and I still type if you want, if I want it to be read, I still need to type it. <laughs> oh, I, I can't handwrite, but at the same time, it's still not my preferred mode of communication. I'm, you know, I'm a published author, but handwriting was very hard, was and is hard for me. <laughs>
0: You know, I was just thinking about this comment about school is the one place where we're in life that we're expected to excel at everything. I'm going, is there any other place? And my brain has gone off on this whole, (laughs) the most sophisticated search engine in the world is the one that resides behind your eyes and between your ears. So mine is off going, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, college football players are supposed to get good grades. No, actually, that's not necessarily the way they anticipate it to be in college for, for a pro athlete, uh, an athlete that's going to go pro. Yeah. And I'm going, wait a minute. Is there any place other than this? And I'm like, well, the president. No, actually, he's surrounded by all of these other people who are supposed to be smarter than he is so that he can get the, the help and, and stay in his lane. Mm-hmm. And I'm going huh, I can't find any other place in life where we are expected to be good at everything other than the internal, and I'm going to name it what it is, the internal bully that for an entrepreneur, this is a big deal because solopreneurs force themselves into positions where they have to excel at everything in order for their, yeah. But it's like, wow, that's not pretty, Jackie. And I lived in that world for a really, really long time.
1: And I have been so grateful to be learning the lesson of who, not how, who can I get to help me with this thing that I'm not, you know, that I'm not as skilled with so that I can really be, because I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, yeah, I I certainly did that realm, you know, where the chief everything, the CEO meant the chief everything officer, you know, and Now I'm functioning more as a true CEO, you know, having a ca- very capable team around me and, but yeah, learning that who, not how, and quit trying to do the thing that you're not like, why am I wasting time figuring out whatever it is? You know, why am I not finding somebody and it doesn't have to be a full-time person, but like, especially for somebody who has, who, who has some learning challenges of their own, if there's aspects, if you're, cause I'm, I think and actually statistics say that there's a Harvard research, Harvard business school research study that said that a third of entrepreneurs in the U.S. are dyslexic. One, one in six in the population, you know, to overall, but so double that rate as entrepreneurs, it makes sense because yeah. entrepreneurs are out to solve a problem in a unique creative way outside the system usually. And so it makes sense that somebody who's got that brain wiring, who's excellent for that, but I think it's important for all of us, you know, that all of us are, um, recognize that we aren't good at everything and we don't have to be and you shouldn't try to be. You should be looking for support to help you in the areas that aren't your
0: strengths. This brings to mind the, um, the challenge of supporting the, not good at everything, so that not all the grades are A's, and a system that pulls all the grades together and averages them to get a GPA to decide whether you get a scholarship or whether you go to college. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that are connected to it, and it's a system that maybe is ripe for change as we start to learn more about what it really means to excel, truly excel in some things, comes at the price of not excelling in other things.
1: And some of those other things we do need to invest, it may be that we need to spend extra time filling in those, you know, like it may not, yes, that may not be something we naturally excel in, but most most of my students, they spend, we have probably double the amount of reading language arts, English type time in their schedule, Because that's what they need to build skills so they have the functional skills for life. And so there's a balance of, you know, yeah, I'm not going to just ignore it. Yes, I want to embrace strengths, but we also need to build in the plan where they are and getting them successful so we can at least have eighth grade skills to be, you know, functional in society.
0: Yeah. And, And that's a big deal. It it really, really is because this is the realm, when you're dealing with a struggling learner, this is the realm of you can't ignore it. Without these basic skills, we're setting our children up to fail at life. And the struggle around it is really a, a challenging one. You know, I've had my own struggles with it this year with all of the schools being closed and It's, you know, not for me personally, because I'm out of school age, but, you know, I have members of my family that are school age and I've seen these struggles and it's heartbreaking when you know that there's a problem and you haven't found a successful way to address it. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're giving everybody a path, a place they can start to address it if they have a struggling learner. So bless you. Beth Ellen, for what you are doing out in the world, and Katie, go ahead and let everybody have the gift because I want people to be able to have um, time to just click on it, go look at it. If you've got questions, pop them into the chat. And and Beth Ellen, I know you know, you're part of the VIP lounge where the speakers get to interact with people who have claimed being a very inspiring person. So I really appreciate that. And for people watching the recording, if they want to get the guide, it's in the show notes. So we're not leaving you out. And that, that personalized learning guide, you're actually going to be filling out a
1: questionnaire about your kid. And we're going to, we, we are going to generate that guide. It, it auto generates for you based on what you said. So even in that guide, and it's got, you've actually got excerpts from my book that are linked for you that are specific to your concern so if you've got something it's a very like if you tell me you've got concerns about phonics or about water processing you're going to have a link to an excerpt about different aspects of what you specifically express concern about for your kid to give you a very personalized guide and a path path forward to, to take some action steps for your kid
0: Oh, that is such a beautiful, beautiful gift. Beth Ellen, in a world where struggle is sometimes considered noble, do we should we address that elephant? Is is there any value in letting kids struggle?
1: I don't really think so. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I don't, I don't really think so, because I think. There's no, not say, okay, let me balance that. Let me check.
0: Yeah, There's, I'm a, not, there's, there's a place
1: to say to not swoop in and be the helicopter parent and try to rescue them. I think that's important that we're not trying to rescue them from the journey of the path of learning the skills. But I think as long as we're equipping them on the journey with a place they can be successful, um, that's we need to be meeting them where they are so that we can set them up for that confidence and independence and success.
0: So things being difficult is not bad.
1: No, hard isn't bad. It's, it's not that something being difficult isn't bad, but when it's
0: beyond doable. Yeah, when, when, it's, when it's, yeah, it's yeah, it needs struggle. to be doable. Yeah, there we go.
1: Yeah, a doable <laughs> level of challenge. That's why we call our just right level because it's like one of those, they need to be working at a level that they can do. If they're being asked to do something that's just setting them up for, it's a total recipe for failure. There's no way they can. They don't have the skills to achieve it. We're
0: not helping them. I
1: mean, we're not. We're not helping.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so, so defining struggle was really important for me mm-hmm. as I was asking the question. I'm going. It's really about the definition. Yeah. Because
1: being ch- a challenge is a good thing. We we, we use adaptive programs that are gonna keep the student at a continual level where they're just being challenged just beyond where they are ready right now. That's important, but we want it to be a challenge that's a doable challenge, not a challenge that's a, well, like we talked about earlier, trying to keep your head above water and feeling like you're about to drown. Yeah, there we go. The difference between challenge
0: and struggle.
1: Yeah, is it swimming, is it a hard swim? Are we swimming hard and making progress? Or mm-hmm. are we
0: treading desperately, water pa- desperately paddling,
1: down. treading to just not sink?
0: Yeah, the important distinctions, mm-hmm. really, really important distinctions. And I want to just say thank you again for all that you are doing to change the conversation around struggling learners. Mm-hmm and around this normalizing the conversation that dyslexic does not mean disabled no no and i think that that was for me a big um a big deal i and my family it was my my mom was a special ed supervisor mm. and so because the language of the day was very um, damaging it was very uh i started to say damning and i can it's my show okay <laughs> it, it really made the kids think that there was something broken mm-hmm. in them. and now we've come really far from that but when it comes to having a diagnosis of dyslexia it's the same kind of challenge that for many people that means damaged disabled um
1: well, and it's interesting, and I have parents say, well, I don't know if I want to tell them they've got this diagnosis, and I tell them, honestly, they, what they've diagnosed themselves with is far worse than whatever it is the reality is, um, and that, I mean, they, they see you talking hush-hush behind your hand to Aunt Susie, and, you know, the, those things, and they, they know something they know things are coming harder for them than others. Yeah. And again, they think what's wrong with me. They already know something's wrong. And I had, I had one little boy, I was at a conference. I was giving a talk and I was giving my, um, help and hope for dyslexics talk. I think it was. And, and afterwards I said, Hey, what did you think? And he's like, I think I'm dyslexic. And He saw himself in those flip side strengths and challenges, as well as both the challenges and the strengths I had described. And he finally had a name for it. He's probably eight years old. And for him, it was not at all, uh, you know. And his mom told me, he's like, honestly, I'd never even considered it until about 10 minutes before your talk. Another vendor was like, Do you think it could be dyslexia? And she looked at the program and saw that my talk was next, and they came. And she's like, And he was just like, I've got a name for it. And it was just so empowering to him. So I think that not, um, moving towards it with language. And if you explore to
0: find out some of the amazing dyslexics that are out there. Oh yeah. I, they, I, it was amazing to, like I said, I just was in that part of the book, David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. and It's a beautiful shining light on where the power is. And, it um, One of the other interviews I did on parenting with, uh, and it's up on the suicide prevention movement YouTube channel was with TC Clark. And for her son who had extreme ADHD, she told him it was his superpower and explained it that way to him. She said, what would it be like if Superman couldn't control his strength and he'd be walking through ripping doors off. There's nothing wrong with you. You have to learn to control your superpower the same way as Clark Kent did, yeah, and yeah. that was you know an analogy that could resonate in a in a kid brain because mm-hmm. he knew who they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For those of us that have, um, I was going to say, for those of us that have de- the the desire to share the stories of the people who succeed with the. Conditions, the ways of viewing the world that we call dyslexia. I recommend if you're going to be talking to your kid, choose an age appropriate example. Sure. Because they're not going to know who some of these people are.
1: But at the same time, if you talk about Thomas Edison, they've probably heard of him and they've heard that he did something pretty amazing. Or, you know, you talk about Nikola Tesla and the person who helped discover a bunch of cool things we know about electricity. Like, you know, or Henry Winkler or Oprah or Richard Branson, they may have heard of some of these people. And if they didn't, you could explore their stories together and find out what cool things did some of these, I mean, Charles Schwab, I mean, hello, the the people who have been successful with the dyslexic brain wiring are pretty inspiring. Yeah,
0: you're right. Okay. <laughs> and since i'm standing up that is an appropriate way to say that okay so the good news is there are ways to set your struggling learner up for success there are ways to help your child at any level succeed more and there are ways to help you and me succeed in the role of being a parent and a grandparent and uncle brother sister whatever role you have and Beth Allen, thank you so much for taking us on this journey so that there's some hope. And I love that you have a talk, hope and help for mm-hmm. the. Yeah, I should have known. Okay. <laughs> so I recommend everyone start with the guide. And thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Jackie. I appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. Ah, you're welcome.
0: Mwah.